Hey Leader, and welcome to David Burkis Presents, which is the world's least creative name for a combination live stream, podcast, etc. But on this episode, David Burkis Presents, oh, Prevents, that would be funny too. David Burkis <laughs> Presents, my good friend Michael Bungay-Stanier, also known as MBS, for a conversation on, if you don't already know, he is the world's like foremost leader on teaching managers to coach. And the environment in which managers and employees interact changed a little bit. I don't know if you noticed, but it changed I, a, a I little rumors. bit this year. I certainly heard rumors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I thought he would be the perfect person to bring on and talk about how do we do this coaching thing um, in that environment. So, yeah. um, Michael, just give us a brief idea of um, who you are, your two books, including The Advice Trap. And, and if you want, take that right to um, the core of what you try and convey to managers when it comes to coaching performance out of their employees and their team. Perfect. Look. If I'm known at all, and I'm assuming that I'm not known to almost everybody, but if I was known by anybody, it would be for a book I wrote about four years ago called The Coaching Habit. I wrote it thinking about busy managers, busy leaders, busy individual contributors or organizations. And I'm like, I am determined to unweird coaching because I think coaching is a really powerful leadership technology. It's driven by curiosity, which is a kind of like a leadership superpower. And it just keeps getting stuck in organizational <laughs> life for some reason. In theory, everybody's for coaching. In practice, everybody's like, it's just easy to tell people what to do. Mm. So the coaching habit, which has been my gangbuster, amazingly successful book, almost a million copies sold now. Um, it says, look, let me first of all give you a definition of what coaching is. It's can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? That's what coaching is. First of all, then let's remove the stigma of coaching, which is like, I don't even want to make you a coach. I want you to be you, leader, manager, contributor, who is more coach-like. That's that behavior, mm -hmm. that curious behavior. And I want to show you how to do it in 10 minutes or less so that you can coach in a way that fits with your busy life and doesn't feel like it has to be a three-hour lie down on a couch, let's have a therapy session. So that book came out uh, four years ago this year. Earlier this year, I, I released the kind of companion book called The Advice Trap, which gets into how do you tame your advice monsters, those things that keep coming up out of the darkness and saying, oh, no, now's the time for you to tell them what to do. Um, and you're right. I spend a lot of time with big companies, Microsoft, Salesforce, even Gucci in Italy at one stage, which is very ooh-la-la, um, <laughs> helping their managers and leaders actually helping organizations shift from advice-driven to curiosity-led and giving them the practicalities to be more coach-like. Hmm. So I, I want to get into some of that advice trap stuff, especially. I, I've actually been talking about the advice monster um, a lot in a, in a little bit different context and because it's an incredibly memorable TED Talks that um, I was privileged to almost watch in person. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you you had spoken in the uh, the same forum in earlier years, and you were kind of uh, central to actually helping them select me to be as part of that TEDx talk, and it was outstanding. It was such a good experience. So thank you, David. Yeah. Oh, it's a great talk, and so we'll link to it in underneath this or show notes or however that is done, wherever you're listening or watching, there'll be a link for that. You'll, you'll definitely want to check it out. Um, but first, I want to talk a bit about this manager as coach thing or coaching as a role in managers. I I, I liken it to this, and this is um, completely attempting to suck up to you and get on your good <laughs> side. Um, but I look at it as, so most of us who 
who are in this space. Most of us who write books to managers and talk and are privileged to go around and well, we used to be privileged to go around and give talks. Are privileged to zoom in and give talks to managers on how to make their teams better. Um, most of that started with Tom Peters, right? Yeah. With with Tom Peters and uh, In Search of Excellence. And one of the core ideas in there that was probably the stickiest idea in In Search of Excellence was this idea of management by walking around, right? Yeah. Just get out of your office and go talk to people. And what I love is that that was a really, really big concept that nobody really wrote a manual for. Like, <laughs> okay, so once you're walking around, what do you say, right? right? And, and I have this theory that actually management by walking around created more micromanaging feelings than it probably dissipated because what ended up happening is you're managed by walking around. You don't know what to say. Well, yeah, thankfully on a random guy comes up and a woman comes up and starts looking over your shoulder going, well, how's it going? And you're like, what? Right. Stop it. right. So, so thankfully, you know, 30 years later on a leap year, that's your thing, by the way, right? Every, every leap year, every leap day, we get a new MBS book, which is, which is, I'm, you know, I'm, that's... I'm, writing, I'm writing a new book at the moment and I'm really hoping it's not going to take me three and a half years to get this sucker out into the world. I'm going to break that pattern. I wouldn't right, blame you if you waited though, just to keep the streak alive. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, so all that to say, along comes the coaching habit. And I feel like now there's actually like a template. Hey, say this, right? When you're doing that management right. by walking around things, say this. In particular, you gave people um, seven questions. I think it's seven, right? It's seven. seven. And, and what I love is that the first two questions are really at the, almost at that management by walking around and not being a micromanager inspector. Right. Thing. So, I mean, walk us through that template. We're doing this thing. Oh. What do we say? Well, before you say anything, it's just worth asking yourself, what's the point here? <laughs> Why am I walking around, you know, virtually or not virtually? And what's success look like? And how do I add value in this world? Um, because, you know, we're all driven by uh, a need, some of its internal motivation, some of its external pressure to be seen to add value. And Lots of us have grown up and lots of us have moved into the role of manager and leader going, look, now that you're a manager, you need to tell people what to do. You need to give them advice. You need to have the answers, have the solutions. And it puts pressure on all of us. We're all like, oh, I'm sweating it because life is complicated. The world is complex. It's actually almost impossible for you to have the right answers to the things because you're not even sure what the real problem is. Hmm. So the starting point is like, okay, how do I how do I help here? How can I be helpful in my management by walking around? And I think there's a few things. One is you're out there to let people know that you have their back. Secondly, and related, you're out there to let them know that you're actually interested in who they are as human beings, not as small cogs in a large machine. So one reason to make connection is to make connection, just to be to humanize the experience of, of that, work that by the way sounds like the dumbest sentence of this interview but it's actually the wisest right that yeah. the purpose of this connection is to make connection i know exactly which is like look i'm look we can we so much of work uh drives us to be transactional let's get it done who's, who's responsible who's on point and and that matters and work and people in work flourish when there's that that connection but then I think one of the biggest shifts that underlies the work in the coaching habit and the advice trap is for people to reconfigure their role. And it's fundamentally this. 
let's move you from feeling like you have to be the person with the answer to being the person who makes sure that people are working and figuring out what the real challenge is to work on. Mm. Because imagine this, imagine you're the person who says, I constantly help people focus on the stuff that has more impact and the stuff that has more meaning. So they're more engaged in the work that they're doing and the work that they do makes more of a difference in whatever the ecosystem is that they're in. That is a rare and beautiful thing and has you loyal people because you're like, you make me feel better. You're using my strengths. You're making me feel like I'm making a contribution. And it brings the loyalty of the organization because they're like, your team is overperforming because you keep focusing on the right things to do. Hmm. What you're stepping away from is feeling like you have to be the person who has the answer. And that becomes easier once you realize how flawed your attempts to give advice so often are. <laughs> and they're flawed for three real re ways. One is often you don't know what the real problem is. So when somebody says blah, 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 it's a rookie mistake to think that what they've just told you is the actual challenge. I mean, it can be occasionally, but almost never is the first thing they say the real challenge or the most important challenge. But even if they've given you the real challenge, then the second thing you need to recognize is that your answer is not nearly as good as you think it is. Your solutions aren't, they're, they're biased, they're, they're out of date, they, they come from your own experience, you haven't really understood the real problem anyway. Mm. But even in this perfect world, David, where you're like, okay, you know what the problem is, and you've got a, a stonkingly good solution to the problem, <laughs> the third reason that gets in the way comes back to this leadership moment, which is, is the best thing for you to do to be the person providing the answer or is it being the person who opens the space to allow them to figure out the answer? Because mm. when you do that, you bring people and therefore a team who are more competent and more confident and more self-sufficient and more autonomous and are growing and actually everybody wins if you can provide that. Yeah. You know, and, and you said the magic word there for me with autonomy, right? Because not only do we know from, I don't know, 50 years of research that it's the right answer, it also <laughs> is the answer nobody has a choice about anymore, right? right? Like right. Uh, the, the age of knowing exactly what to do is gone, but also yeah. the age of being there to be able to tell people exactly what to do is gone. I mean, the reality is you're probably only having synchronous conversations with your people for a few minutes a day if you're having them daily. If right. not, just at those sort of regularly scheduled meetings and check-ins at this point. Yeah. Now, it's worth just saying to reassure some of the people listening that I'm not anti-advice. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's, a, there's absolutely a place for that transaction to say, here's a solution for you, here's an idea, here's an insight. Absolutely. That's why this definition of being more coach-like is, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Mm. If you have the answer, that's great. Just wait a bit because you may find that they'll figure it out themselves. It may find out that they already had the answer that you had. It may, you may find out that your answer wasn't as good as you thought it was. So just wait a bit. Just yeah. slow down that, that drive for adding value. Yeah. Well, and, and this is where also I love um, the, the one-two punch of the, the first two questions in your, in your sequence, right? Because yeah. if, you, if you have the advice monster thing, if you fall into the advice trap, one of the problems is you might be giving advice on the wrong problem, right? Totally. And so that your first two questions that you tell anybody to ask are what's on your mind yeah, and what else, 
which is sort of like, I have to tell you, my, my wife is a physician and physicians talk about the doorknob dilemma, right. which is that you go see a patient and you talk to the patient about a bunch of stuff. And then as you turn to go and exit the room and your hand oh, hits the doorknob, thing. oh yeah, you know, doc, this has been feeling it. And they get it the real reason that they were right. there today. And I think it's the sort of same thing. So I love that combination because it struck, it struck me the very first time I read it, it struck me as like, this is about problem finding before we do anything else. Totally. It's, it is recognizing that, I mean, I just read a quote this morning. You probably know well, because you're a you know, smart management guy. I'm well, I have up. Google. I have Google. So that <laughs> Charles Kettering, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. Mm. And I was like, oh, yes, that. <laughs> like none of the stuff that I teach is radically new. It's all old wine in new bottles. But it's like, okay, so how do you get a problem well stated? Well, mm. you you work on the assumption that the first statement is not well stated. It's the start. Right. <laughs> and, you know, to, to, to give people a script, you know, what's on your mind is a really great opening question because it, it accelerates the conversation into something that matters. But here's a script that you can use. It's, it's two questions, each said two times. Here's how it goes. You go, great. Okay, I know what's on your mind. That's wonderful. What's the real challenge here for you? And they'll say something. And your job is to look and be interested and tame your advice monster because your advice monster at this stage is going, oh, you should tell them what to do. If that's the real challenge, tell them what to do. No, no, you go, great. That's fantastic. What else? I mean, what else is a real challenge for you here? And they'll, they'll have something else. I can promise you they'll have something else. So you, you nod and you be interested and you listen and you be engaged, but you resist the need to add value by saying anything more. And then you go, this is great. What else is a challenge here for you? And they'll come up with something and then you'll go, great. So three important things out of all of those, what's the real challenge here for you? Hmm. And this is a script. <laughs> this, is a, you, this is, I'm teaching you to be lazy as a manager and as a leader <laughs> and a facilitator. Cause I, I want you to stop working so hard to, to, to trip over your own feet like allow them to do the thinking, allow them to do the work, guide them in a way that they will actually figure out what the real challenge is. Because here's what happens 30 to 50% of the time. When you ask that second, what's the real challenge here for you? And they actually figure it out. That's all the help they need from you. Cause as soon as they mm. figure out the real challenge, They've got an insight on what the how to solve that problem. They're like, oh, okay, stop talking, Michael. I'm going to leave because I've got things to do because I figured out what needs to be done now. And it's this amazing explosion of energy. Well, but, but hang on, because as they thought of that, I also thought of my amazing, groundbreaking, going to blow their mind piece of advice to give them. Yeah. What do I do with that piece of advice? Well, you, you can do a few things. One is you can just sit there and swallow it. <laughs> and the older I get, the more I realize just how un, uninspiring and unuseful my advice tends to be. So I'm like, it's, you know what? Instead of looking like an idiot, why don't I just forget that I had this idea? Um, or you could just continue to be lazy. And they're like, oh, this is great. I've got an idea. You're like, I, I want to hear what it is. Fantastic. So tell me your idea. No, go, it's blah, blah, blah. And you go, I love it. What else could you do? And they go, mm. oh, blah, blah, blah. And then you go, great, what else could you do? And they're like, oh, actually, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, this is amazing. So now you've got three fantastic ideas. If you had to pick one of those to, to work on, which, which one would you pick? 
And they're like, oh, this idea. And you're like, fantastic. All right, now let me ask you, before you start going and acting on that, I want you to do a really brilliant job putting this idea into place. What's the real challenge here for you in acting on this idea? And what everybody who's listening in is just seeing just how limited my palate is. <laughs> I've asked, what's the real challenge here for you? Um, what ideas do you have? And what else? And what else? And what else? And what else? And this is, this is if you're taking a question away from this, it might be the and what else question because it just allows any question to deepen and shift and really kind of enrich the conversation. Okay, so... I would be remiss though if I didn't say there's probably one or two percent of times where you throw out the end what else and they go, no, I just told you that's the issue, right? Or, oh. or I don't have any ideas to solve this. So yeah. are, do you rephrase it in a different way? Are there other questions you ask? Yeah. What's, what's your advice? What's your advice in that, that situation? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you get that little shudder of, oh my God, it's all going hopefully wrong. And you get this little flutter in your chest. Which I like, have oh, the card right here. You're supposed to find your genius after yeah, I ask exactly. this question. Um, I, I start with the principle that, look, I'm, I'm not trying to be the Wizard of Oz, manipulating the conversation behind the scenes and hoping that nobody notices what I'm doing. I'm really transparent about what I try and do. It just makes it easier for me. I also have a terrible memory. So if I've been trying to manipulate somebody and then I forget and I'm not sure what I'm doing anymore. So I'll go, oh, okay. So if you, if, if uh, it's like humor me, let's say that uh, you're probably right. That probably is the real challenge. But if there was another challenge that's bubbling up for you right now, what's your best guess? What would you think it might be? Um, and they're like, nothing. There is no other challenge. And you're like, brilliant. Okay, so that's the real challenge for you. Let's dig into it. And um, and probably what I would ask, which is another one of the seven coaching questions, I go, great. So you're really clear on what the real challenge is. How can I help? Or what do you want from me? Because now I'm resetting the conversation. I'm like, okay, so how can I be of service here? Because there's one part of me is now anxious. There's one part of me is like, oh, you know, God, it's the real challenge. I'm not totally sure if it is the real challenge. Now what do I do? Now how do I add value? I'm like, you know what? How about I stop trying to figure out how I add value? And how about I ask them how I can be helpful? <laughs> and they're like, so, so, so what do you want from me? And they're like, nothing. I just want you to stop talking to me so I can get away and deal with that. And you're like, great. Head on out and have a go at it. Now, Mike, uh, what's his name? Mike Abrashoff. Do you know this? Uh, you will know this writer. He wrote, was it my book or my story in the Navy or? Yeah, he's the, the captain guy that's turned. The captain the, yeah, guy. Yeah. He said, look, there are two types of mistakes people make. There are above the waterline mistakes and below the waterline mistakes. And part of your job is to make sure that the mistakes people make are above the waterline mistakes, not below the waterline. Below the waterline, your ship sinks <laughs> and everybody loses. Above the waterline mistakes, people learn and they get smarter and things get fixed and you, you increase capacity and knowledge and all of that good stuff. If you think somebody is walking out the door and they've just got it totally wrong and it's going to be a career-limiting move for them to follow that, then I think as a leader, part of your job is to say, you know what? You might be right. This might be the right challenge. But I'm going to use my gray hair, my <laughs> aging brain, 
because I've got I've got another perspective that just it might be another take on what's going on here. Let me let me run it past you and see what's going on. Mm. So I think you know one of the anxieties people have with coaching or being more coach like is you lose control and and you you doom your team to failure because you're like oh I can't tell anybody what to do anymore I can't offer advice I they're just going to do whatever the hell they want and yeah. you know sometimes they're right and sometimes they're idiots <laughs> what do I do about that and for me it's like oh no there's there's you're responsible to make sure that things get um things are safe psychologically safe and that you don't gamble too much of your organization's equity however you want to call define that most of us are far too sensitive and far too wired to leap in and save the day and save the person and save the project without letting it run a little bit longer using being more coach like as the the navigation for that yeah yeah well and what i love about it too so I, this is you actually spoke to one of my problems that I've always had with the servant leadership model. I respect the intent of it. I totally get the idea, right? But sometimes it requires you to know that somebody's about to walk out that door and make a career limiting move or walk out that door and blow a hole in the ship below the waterline <laughs> right. and you've got to switch, right? Yeah, and so totally. what I love about sort of this coaching minded leader or I mean, per, my personal favorite leadership models, transformational leadership, but that's only if you're like super nerdy doctorate in leadership studies which I am. Um, <laughs> but what I love about the mentality of this, uh, how can I help is, et cetera, is that you're reminding yourself by asking that question that your job isn't to tell people what to do. Your job is to get people what they need to do the job they were hired to do. And the only right. time you intervene, actually intervene and, and direct is when you see things going wrong. But as long as you see things going right, there's no need to add your two cents to it because then all you do is diminish that person's sense of ownership over the work they're about to do, sense of ownership yeah. over the problem, over the solution, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, uh, you know, the Daniel Goldman article from HBR back 20 years ago, talking about six different leadership styles. The, the article is called leadership that gets results. And he says, look, great leaders know how to use all six styles at the appropriate time. And yeah. there's a place for direction and there's a place for democratic, let's get opinions and there's a place for coaching. And in that article 20 years ago, Goldman was like, coaching is the least utilized of the leadership skills because it takes too long, but it's shown to drive uh, not just culture and engagement, but bottom line profitability. And part of what this approach is about to say, it's like, okay, let's get over the barriers to why people feel they can't be more coach-like. And one of them is I don't have time. It's like, so I'm like, sure. If you can't coach somebody in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach. These questions will help. Right. And then they go, I still don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to add coaching to all the other stuff that I'm already doing. And I'm like, again, you're right. Coaching is about transforming what you currently do rather than adding to your, your, your burden. This is why a coaching initiative from HR going, and now you need to also coach people. <laughs> that always fails because they're like, we're already full and everything feels more important than that HR initiative. Yeah. And then people are like, I don't want to be a coach. That's the third resistance of five. <laughs> I've met coaches. Too many of them are kind of a bit dippy, hippie. Some of them are a bit hardcore executive coaches. Some of them are kind of slightly fascistic sports coaches. I don't know. Whatever. They've got like weird glasses and they look like a hipster and use exactly. a big rusted background. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. So, but they're like, look, I am, I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer. I'm an accountant. I'm a whatever. I've, I'm, 
I don't want to add coaching to my sense of identity. I'm like, I don't want you to be a coach. I want you to be you who is more coach-like. Mm. And then the fourth resistance was like, I don't know what that is. Coaching. It's, it, people have been talking about it for 40 years. I still don't know what they're talking about. They're like, that definition, stay curious longer, rush to action and advice giving a little more slowly. And then the final resistance, David, is people go, well, okay, you've unweirded coaching. It's not, it's not, you're not forcing an identity that I don't want. It's a, it's fast, it's doable, but what's in it for me and all of this? Why would I try and shift the way I act? How does I get how it helps my team get help? I get how it helps my organization, but how does it help me? And I would say that if you are more coach-like, what happens is you end up working less hard, but having more impact because you have focused, autonomous, confident people working on the right stuff around you, which hmm. just allows you to be more successful. Hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So here's my, I don't know, we could call this last question or last question before we just goof off and make fun of each other as we're prone <laughs> to do. Um, but now we're in this world where, you know, I don't, I don't know when everyone is going to say that it's safe to go back to the office. Um, but I know this we're not all going back to the office, right? Like you can't get, somebody Somebody was described to me like just the United States. You don't tell 150 million people to go home and work from home for six months. And then they all go, yep, I want to go back to my cubicle. Like no, that doesn't no, happen. No. So now we're in this era, right? Where we're working from anywhere. Could be the office, could be not, et cetera. Now, how does this all, I mean, translate? Is this regularly scheduled Zoom calls with one-on-ones with each of your people? Is it, yeah. I mean, the last thing I think a lot of managers want is to is to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then they send all their people like a we need to talk email and everybody thinks they're going to get fired. And really it's just a 10 minute coaching conversation. So how do we do this electronically, I guess? Yeah. So this. So I started a company called Box of Crayons, which is a uh, learning and development company that's about Which is a shifting. total hippie name, by the <laughs> totally way. Is. That was but, why I was making fun of him earlier for everyone listening. I love Michael. And, it's just, I couldn't and it, ha it has time and time meant that it stands out from the field. And mm, people have yep. always thought we're a bigger, more influential company than we probably are. Because <laughs> if but, you have the courage to call it Box of Crayons, it's uh, obviously a 10,000-person multinational. Well, exactly. Love and, it. I mean, there's been resistance. I, we worked for Gartner for a while. And I remember the CEO of Gartner going, there's no way I'm putting a box of crayons on a check to any company. <laughs> but we then worked with them for another five years. So, you know, quality outs, I guess. Love it. Um, Three principles that we teach at Box of Crayons around coaching. Be lazy, be curious, be often. Be curious that you you really understand that now, which is like tame your advice monster and kind of bring questions to the fore. Being lazy, we've talked about as well, which is like stop, stop solving other people's problems for them. Allow them to own their own challenges. Allow responsibility to sit in the right place of the organization so that accountability and responsibility is appropriately distributed through your organization. But probably the most radical of the three principles, though it doesn't sound it, is be often. Hmm. Because here's what it says. Every interaction with somebody can be a little more coach-like. Because now we're just defining coaching as can you stay curious a little bit longer. And so anytime you interact with somebody, it could be a Zoom call. It could be your regular one-to-ones. It could be a team meeting. It could be, you know, you're texting somebody or I am in somebody or Slack on somebody. I mean, as an example, David, you know how occasionally 
somebody sends you one of those emails and it's one of the monstrous, monstrously long emails. <laughs> They've just gone, and your heart sinks when this email arrives because, you know, with a normal email, you can just look at it and scan it and go, yeah, go ahead or here's my thoughts or don't do that. But with this email, you're like, oh, my goodness. So you read it through once and you're like, oh, there's a lot here. I'm not even sure I understood that. So you read it through a second time. And then at a certain point you go, see my answers below and you start adding yeah, <laughs> adding yeah. stuff after each paragraph. That is a rookie mistake. And now your advice monster is loose and you can rescue this by being more coach-like. Here's what it sounds like. You go, hey, David, thanks for the email. Wow, lot here. Before <laughs> I go on, let me ask you, because I just want to make sure that I'm being most helpful. Out of all of what's here, what's the real challenge here for you? Send. <laughs> And, of course, the first time you get that back, you think, damn it, they've just heard that amazing kind of LinkedIn Live, David Burkus Prevents. Um, or they're like – Props on sneaking in Prevents there, by the way. I noticed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but now you're saying, look, I'm not going to solve your problem for you. I'm not going to untangle your email, which you haven't figured out how to kind of – what's at the heart of it. I'm going to – I can coach you by email. I can coach you by text. Just mm. stay curious a little bit longer. So different cultures have different needs for those kind of more formal, regular meetings of, of coaching. It's our monthly session, so we're going to call it coaching. But I'm a much bigger champion of everyday informal interactions being more coach-like. So however you're working with somebody remotely, you can add curiosity just a little bit to every interaction that you have, and it will probably be better off. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I love that because I think what a lot of people want um, is a manual. It's probably why a million people bought the coaching habit is they get a right. seven question manual, but I right. think they want the manual for here's how to schedule the coaching zoom call that you'll do biweekly with each of your, and like, I can already tell you it's not going to work for your people because your people are different and they want different things. Right. So I love this idea that it, it's not a coaching system that we translate over to zoom or some other app that's still getting invented in middle yeah. of quarantine, et cetera. But it's how do we infuse more curiosity into every conversation that's organically happening? Because exactly. that's where the coaching opportunities come in. Exactly. And remember just to restate it, it's not saying that now everything has to be questions all the time and that you never get to make a decision or share an idea or have an opinion or move to action around everything. It's around Stay curious a little bit longer because you're more likely to figure out what the real problem is. You're really more likely to focus on the stuff that matters. You're more likely to generate better ideas so that you're more likely to have more impact in the work that you do. I love that. I love that. And that's a good note to end on. But I would be, I would not forgive myself if I didn't use this as an opportunity to go, okay, what's the new book about? What are you working on? What can we expect from MBS? <sighs> well, so in the, in the, uh, the new book, The Advice Trap, um, which is about that, to be the old book. Which is about to be the year. old book. Well, you know, who knows how long these things take to write. You know, some books go fast, some books go slow. The the thing I talk most about is taming the advice monster. You know, in the advice trap, I go, look, three types of advice monster. There's tell it, there's save it, there's control it. Which one is kind of drives you most often? How do you kind of manage that? But the thing that I worked hardest on to try and figure out, because really, David, I see a lot of what I do when I write is I'm I try and move from complexity to the other side of complexity to simplicity, which is like I try and work stuff out. 
so that it feels obvious and straightforward for you and you don't have to worry about all the stuff that's underneath it and behind it that structures this and, and explains why it works so well. The thing I really worked on was behavior change. She's like, why, why with the coaching habit do some people go, I've got my seven questions, I am good to go, and they just take it and they fly. And other people go, I got the seven questions, and I like the book, and Michael's mildly amusing at times, but I just haven't actually incorporated anything into the work I do. I haven't managed to be more curious. So it was a deeper dive into, into change and behavior change. And I came up with this idea, this definition of the difference between easy change and hard change. Easy change is like downloading an app onto your phone. It's adding to what's already there. Hard change is when you go, I need to up my operating system. I need a rewiring of my phone so it's operating at that next level. That kind of got a bit swallowed in the book. It's a little bit hidden. It didn't quite land the way I wanted it to land. So the new book is going to kind of dig into that a little further and just have a real focus on, look, here's why atomic habits and Zen habits and simple habits and thinking like a monk and thinking everything is figure outable and all of that stuff that goes, here's the simple checklist to make it work. Here's why that only works some of the time for some of the stuff. And if you go, look, I've read all there is about habits. I've tried to inculcate good habits. I'm still struggling that the book is going to help people with that. I feel like you're being really generous there by saying it only works some of the time, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> that's just it my work some of the time, but it's like, yeah, you know, James yeah. or none or none habits. of the time, but yeah. Well, his, his, James Clear's book has sold millions. It's, it's, I mean, it's good for him, but I just don't think, actually I'll say it like this. The coaching habit has sold, you know, nearly a million copies. I know a million people don't have the coaching habit as mm. a result of that book. Mm. I want more people to know how to shift their behavior on the hard stuff so that they can be the best versions of who they want to be. I love that. No, I love that. And I mean, it's the job of people like yourself and myself is is never done. So um, I guess I'm it's weird. I'm simultaneously grateful and annoyed by that fact, right? <laughs> right? Because I want we want to work ourselves out of a job, but right. the job is sort of never done. There's always another person looking to get the coaching habit. So That's that right. book will come out eventually, probably leap year, you know, in three, four years from now or whatever. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> um, hoping, I'm hoping my, my ambitious target is to have it out around about now, next year. So 12 months from now. Okay, fantastic. So in the meantime, where can people find more about you, your work, sign up for a newsletter where they can get an sure. email when that book finally comes out. Where can people Look, find if, you? If you're, if you're in a big Fortune 500 company and you're like, tell me more about this coaching stuff, then boxofcrayons.com is the site for you. But if you're a regular person and you're like, more about Michael, mbs.works is the website. And the thing that's most popular there is something called the Year of Living Brilliantly. It's a year-long, absolutely free course, which you get a, a new teacher every week a two to six minute video and just a, a really growing community of people who are engaged in these little lessons that are helping people shift their behavior, shift their year, make it a year of living brilliantly. So if you're going to sign up for one thing, maybe the year of living brilliantly at mbs.works. I, I love that. And if ever we needed a year of choosing to live brilliantly, 
this this might be this might be, like, you know what? Actually, not being I, terrible. That, I'm not. I'm not. My introductory, part, my, my introductory product should be a year of not sucking badly. There you go. Small, goal. small <laughs> goals, right? We're just going to try and do. I love it. I love it. Well, cool. Well, we will have links to that to the TEDx talk, obviously to both books that are out now. Um, all of that either in the comments or show notes, depending on where you're watching this, listening this, etc. If you are looking for that while you're there, hit a like, comment, share, maybe even timestamp when uh, MBS said the most brilliant thing on this video, timestamp it so others can click right to it, um, whatever you want to do. But thank you, Michael. I did my best to prevent your brilliance, but I obviously couldn't. Thank you so much for being on David Burkus Presents. Hey, always. I will, I'm willing to prevent anything when it comes to working with David Burkus. so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, leave a rating and review because it helps share these messages with many, many more people. And if you really liked it and you want to go deeper, then check out the amazing resources we have for you at davidberkuscom slash resources. Guaranteed there's something in there that'll help you or your team do your best work ever.